0: What's up, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into another episode of the ski system podcast. Obviously this episode is brought to you by the ski system, the number one source for strength and conditioning for winter athletes, whether you're trying to prep for the season or reduce the risk of injury, get is the number one place to go. There's over 50 plus programs on there and 300 exercise videos that show you exactly how to do things, break down the form and get you prepared for the upcoming season. On this episode, we have one of my childhood friends, incredible person, great athlete, Matt Ladley, professional snowboarder, went pro at the age of 14, which is insane. We talk about that. He also won gold at the 2016 X Games for Men's Snowboard Superpipe. He's traveled all around the world. He's competed at the highest level, and he has some incredible insights, not only into training, strength, and conditioning for being on snow, but his experience as a young, talented athlete the pressures that he faced, some of the challenges, and all around just honesty with the industry, direction it's headed, and some great things that have happened in his life. Currently, Matt is working at Iconsource, which is a rad company that's connecting brands with athletes, helping both of them leverage each other so that they can find success in their own way. Without further ado, Matt
1: Lively. How's it going?
0: (laughs) What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. How are you? It's been a while. It has been a while. I, I think the last time that I saw you, we were in Los Angeles skateboarding at a night session in Westchester. Yeah. And we did that for, I want to say, the better part of three months straight while you were living out there.
1: Yeah, dusting off the cobwebs. I think we both uh, had to get back out there a little more, um, trying to take it easy.
0: Yeah. So along those lines, when I moved down to Encinitas, I had this great idea of buying a skateboard and getting back into it because I had seen the Jamie Thomas skateboards at a local park here. So a little bit of fanboying, a little bit, I need to get back on a skateboard. I went, I bought a full complete, I was super psyched. I went to the park, I did one session. I didn't get hurt. And that was a little over a year ago. So you
1: know, (laughs) as long as you're staying in there a little bit, that's kind of how I feel. I'm like, man, I miss skateboarding. And then I get real into it, skate a bunch for a couple of weeks. And I'm like, man, my ankles, what
0: is going on? Take one slam and you're like, oh man, it's the pavement. It's that when you fall, it's so much different than when you're a kid. Yeah. Yeah. That concrete hurts now. I'd actually say the only thing in my life, literally the only thing that makes me feel old. It's not like surfing or or training or strength training, like whatever it is. The only thing that makes me be like, ooh, I don't know if I can do that. It's skateboarding. It hurts. It's
1: so gnarly. I give those guys so much respect. I think that's one of the hardest sports to do that every day and it's like you get the opportunity to try a trick or like you're doing so much in one day that it's not like you're sitting on a chairlift for 15 minutes then you get then you hit like three or four jumps and then you sit on a chairlift and then you hit three or four jumps like you can go over and over and over again you can try a trick you know 50 times in one session and just beat yourself up until you get it so i give those guys tons of respect
0: um i love watching skateboarding Yeah, it's funny that we start on that, oddly enough, because one of my memories of us growing up together was that I don't know if you remember this, but you and I were skateboarding your mom's house and we were having like the best time, really feeling this is like classic skateboarding. Things are going well, you're pushing each other a little bit. And you had a, there lived in a community with had like multiple scaled, like descending driveways. And we were gapping one driveway to the next. And I came up like, four inches short on one. And I basically flew like Superman with my pinky extended and the thing (laughs) (laughs) like totally right angled. And, uh, I forget it was like, uh, Mikey McGlone or someone happened to be nearby and he took us to the hospital and they had, they injected whatever the numbing agent is. And they rebroke my finger, like while I was watching it. And uh I had you to <laughs> thank for that day. So maybe yeah, actually we no, should remember hang out together anymore.
1: <laughs> I know, man. We get to get together and go skateboarding, you know. But no, I remember that. This is, it was like, you know, out of the movies when you know you're like, oh my hand and your fingers <laughs> going the other direction.
0: You don't know oh, how to react. Man. Should I put it back in place?
1: <laughs> what do I do?
0: But um yeah, yep. so you know, you and I we grew up in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, Ski Town USA, you know, the the pinnacle of winter sports in some eyes. Uh, I just remember, so I actually, I do another story. I do remember there was one time that I was standing in the winter sports club, like our lodge at the bottom of Howlson Hill in the town that we grew up in. There's two hills. There's Mount Werner, which is like the big ski hill. That's where everyone, if you're going to go skiing and steam with, that's probably where you end up going. And then there's Howlson Hill, which is like a winter sports athlete, Basically like a training compound. I mean, you can get a day ticket, but it's, I don't know why you would. There's like one and a half runs, a bunch of ski jumps, Mogul Hill. And I was Ooh. in the lodge and they had like a magazine cut out of you for like a it was something <laughs> to do with Nike. And I just remember sitting there. And I was like, oh my God. Matt's sponsored by Nike. Like that at that time, like imploded my mind. I mean, I couldn't imagine anything that was like cooler than that. What was it like being at that level at such a young age and feel free to, I mean, tell people about your, your process of finding snowboarding, getting into it, being a young athlete, finding success when you were younger.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it blew my mind too. First of all, I didn't like expect any of that. I wasn't like, where's my Nike contract. <laughs> you know, like I, I was like, Oh, what? Okay, cool. This is nuts. Um, but yeah, you know, it kind of, kind of came together organically i guess you know like there there wasn't anybody uh telling me this is what you had to do this is how you have to push yourself um you know my parents weren't overbearing in any way like that they were extremely supportive of course um but it it, it all came together very organically i was i was actually born in chicago um and i lived there for about 10 years and i had been skiing from a young age my parents would take me to little hills around there there and then i went snowboarding for the first time in telluride when i was like seven years old at my aunt and uncle's um which is funny because i always told my mom when i was like a little kid like i thought like snowboarders were bad kids they like smoke cigarettes and swear and like break their ankles and shit and um so i promised my mom i would never snowboard and then you so lied <laughs> i lied and <laughs> i i went one day in telluride and never skied since um, I just, I loved it. So um, spent a few more years in Chicago and, you know, that was kind of all I did. You know, I did, I, I played soccer like during the warmer seasons, but, you know, once it was cold enough, I went, my mom would drive me uh, to this little hill. It's actually, a, it, it was a landfill and they put a little know, mountain, you can't even call it a mountain really. Definitely not two, a mountain. I know what mountains feet. look like. <laughs> yeah, it's about 200 feet. And there was one rope toe in the middle and it was called Raging Buffalo. And at the time it was snowboarding only. And so it was like heaven to me. It was just like rails and jumps. Um, they were all really small, um, but I would go, my mom would drive me there every day after school and I would just lap that all, all night long. And it was like a true rope toe, not like didn't have handles. So it'd tear through your gloves. Yep. So she would buy me like packs of guarding gloves. Cause I would just tear through them um and that's what i would do every day after school and I, I loved it like that's i don't know i didn't like think about like all right today i'm gonna to go snowboarding i'm gonna try really hard like no, right, right. just like when's mom coming to pick me up i want to go snowboarding so um yeah i really fell in love with it by just being able to do it like that every day i didn't you know have the perspective of like oh there's so much more out there it's like no to me like raging buffalo was like the best place in the world um And then we had, we had visited steamboat a bunch. My, my sister really liked it. Uh, She was really into school. They toured some of the schools out there. Kind of as a family, we made that decision to get out there and um, just continued doing that and being able to go from like raging Buffalo now to steamboat and really start free riding and like riding the whole mountain, riding powder, like completely opened up my world of snowboarding and just, fed my passion more and more. Um, so, you know, there were more people like me, you know, I had friends, um, on the snowboard team that liked to do the same thing and shock in Chicago, it was just me. And now it's like, this is like something everybody likes. Right. Um, so just kind of kept going from there and, you know, would do the regional, you know, age group contests, um, every weekend and, you know, did very well in those, you know, you know, at, 9 10 11 12 there's only a handful of kids in in your contest so um i got pretty used to getting first and second at those um so that was exciting and then started doing some pro events um and got on the u.s team and podium got third place at my first pro event when i was like 14 um, in tamarack idaho um and i think that kind of just led to you know at that time there were a lot of big brands in snowboarding that were heavily investing in into the next generation. Um, Their energy drinks, you know, Burton had a huge squad of you know kids that were under 15 years old yeah. um, and Nike did the same thing. And so, you know, I was one of, you know, quite a few young a- Nike athletes at that time. And they were doing that in surf and skateboard and BMX and mountain biking, you know, really casting a wide net there. Um, so that was, a pretty crazy moment for me and my mom. I think she, she remembers that too. You know, I got my first contract from Nike for $2,000 for a year. Um, and that was just mind blowing.
0: (laughs) I mean, this is like, this is an interesting point. You're, 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 you're like cleaning out the field, right? I mean, for those that aren't involved in competition or winter sports at a young age, like you're the top of the funnel is like, you have a big skill range, right? There's kids that are just like showing up and kind of doing the contest. And then you have people like yourself that maybe are starting to see like, oh, this is kind of like a thing for me. And then you have people in between those two. But if you're good, you don't really know how good you are because you could very easily beat out like the rest of the field because there's not any huge skill variance. But then when you get into like the pro level, when you're beating other pros, you're beating other people that are so much farther ahead than like everyone else they were competing against before. So you, you have to know at that point that your talent is serious. Then on top of that, you get a big company like Nike or something link up with you. I mean, what does it feel like to go kind of, I mean, in a way it's like overnight, right? One day you're not on a contract like that. Then you have one. It obviously gets progressively more lucrative. We'll say like, as you get older and podium more, but was Ooh. there any moment there that like because I think of you as a super humble person, I think you always have been it's one one of the qualities I think is so great about you, you you've never your head has never inflated as a result of your successes. Did you ever feel like that was fleeting
1: um you know it's it to me there it wasn't like one moment it 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 was slow for sure um and I think thankfully, you know as a younger person that stuff really didn't matter to me even though yeah. it was exciting even though like buying my friend's shoes or like right. or not buying but just like ordering them shoes off Nike and like handing out shit and like getting a paycheck like I didn't really know what that meant like as 14 years old I didn't really like have the concept and perspective of like what is financially successful and what is not I didn't really Fair. even care to think about that You know, it was still just like, I just want to snowboard. Um, and I think it was more like humbling because, you know, I I did get that podium at at an actual pro event pretty early on. And I was like, here we go. Like every time, like just how it used to be in like the little leagues where, you know, first and second is like super (laughs) easy. And they probably went, it was probably like four years or something until I got another podium. Um, and that was like a reality check. Like, okay, this is the, the real deal. Um, these guys are really good. Like I, I did show up that one day. I rode well, like it was working well, but these guys know how to do that every time. And I haven't learned that yet. And I have a lot of, lot of, lot of things to learn right. and a long way to go. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It didn't change like overnight. I think more, the, the more like shocking moment was like later on when I was like kind of at the end of that looking back and realizing how quick it went from like little kid just wanting to go snowboarding to like adult trying to figure out you know my next contracts and you know organize my expenses and submit my incentives and figure out what I'm going to do afterwards and I'm like how did that happen so quickly you know yeah yeah, (laughs) like that was more of like a one moment of like oh shit like that was really cool. And I was so in the moment the entire time, but, but that moment went by quickly and I'm, I'm thankful yeah. for it. And it, you know, it was amazing, but um, that was more of like a moment of like, Whoa, like I'm I, I, yesterday. I felt like I'm still trying to reach this goal. And like today I've realized like, you know, I might be, you know, hanging it up soon. Like that was right. a quick transition.
0: Were there any, mo- were there any moments along that like timeline that really stick out to you is like most meaningful or, or most pivotal moments in your career where you, you felt like a true change in trajectory or or things that really like solidify, solidified the fact that you can continue to do this for a while for as long as you did
1: you know it, the fact that I felt like I could continue to do it I, I think I like blindly believed that from the beginning. So that yeah. never really changed. And I think that's important in a lot of things like having blind faith towards something I think can be good, but it can also, of course, be bad at sometimes if you're just straight up wrong, like blind faith is not good. But, <laughs> yeah, like, <mind laughs> but like, if, if what, if your success requires confidence, then that blind faith, I think can be really good. And that's something I, I had from, from like, uh, from the beginning, actually, I want to grab something. This is funny. Yes, please. Um, yeah. I'm still, like, kind of moving in a year later. I got a bunch of shit in my <laughs> back here. But my mom found this and gave it to me. And it was a, uh,
0: Whoa. It's a drawing. Dude, it that says, when I, w-
1: when I was five, I wanted to be a fireman. I want to be a pro snowboarder now. I think I will be a pro snowboarder. So that was when I was like eight years old. In hold on. So hold on I get...
0: for, obviously people won't be able to see this on the audio recording, but if you're watching on YouTube, I mean, this is rad. It could, it, it's clearly drawn by like a very young kid, but um, yeah. Wow. I mean, that's so cool, dude. What, what a like. A thought so I didn't realize for it. a young kid to have.
1: <laughs> yeah. I had no, I, I didn't realize this until, and this was after I retired that she gave this to me and I was like, Whoa. Like, I had no idea, like, I believed that from the beginning. Um, so I guess, I don't know, to answer your question, like, it wasn't really a pivotal moment where I was like, oh, this is no longer a hobby. Like, I think I was, I was fully invested from day one, um, whether I really knew what that meant or not. Um, but there were certainly moments where, you know, there I, I just had so much passion for, like, you know, performing and and improving my craft in my sport and like learning new things and doing things better and not, you know, not comparing myself to, you know, the people I should compare myself to and more just comparing myself to everybody in the sport. And like, there were moments that were big there. I think one, you know, probably the first biggest one and still one of of the most important to me was, I think I was 15. Um, And the Arctic challenge is a, is a snowboard contest in yeah. Norway, um, hosted by Terry Hawkinson, like the godfather of yeah. snowboarding, you know, that's like Michael Jordan or, you know, and he's still very relevant in the, in the sport today. Um, and he hosted it's a quarter pipe event is different than most other events. And it's fairly prestigious the way he, he runs it. There's a, there's serious prize money. Um, you know, it's held in Oslo, which is really cool because most of our events are, you know, in a small ski town, in the right. middle of the mountains somewhere which sounds awesome and it is awesome but we don't have like a stadium or like the you know that crowd like right. every time or like that feeling of like a, a pinnacle event of a large sport where when you go to oslo that's kind of how it is so it's a totally different experience when you do an event in oslo because one like the population there in general is more invested in winter sports right where you know in, in america there's only so much attention on on winter sports um and then two it's actually in the city so you're like staying in the city you're doing city things you're going out seeing stuff whatever um so anyway uh terrier personally invites you know a a handful of people to this event um and i think he was doing a rookie event that year and so he called me which was crazy to me like at the time
0: you know like (laughs) that's like that's like playing (laughs) baseball and like babe ruth is like hey man are you, you got five minutes
1: They're yeah like, totally oh. i thought it was a prank yeah, my week's like, clear. <laughs> and he's he's like he's not super animated like when he talks like he's pretty like like i don't know like stoic and like reserved yeah. he's like hey like is this matt and i'm like yeah what's up <laughs> he's like this is terry hawkinson i'm like come on like, cool <laughs> cool know? yeah totally i'm like yeah totally what's up <laughs> um and he's like hey do you want to come do the arctic challenge it's you know in three days and i'm like oh well yeah i mean i don't know how i'm gonna do that so i called my oakley team manager i'm like dude like i don't know what to do like can you get me a flight because it was an oakley event he's like yeah we'll get you a flight like we'll get you out there um and that was just you know a crazy moment for me you know like
0: i remember when that happened i never really expected to be
1: there and then i was and we were riding practice and I think it was like, you know, it was like a few thousand bucks if you got first place for the rookies or if you were in the pro event, it was like, I don't know, a lot, lot more than that. You know, maybe it was like 30 grand, 40 grand, something like that. Um, But you're up against, you know, all the best pros in the world. And so um, Terry's like, Hey, I don't think you, you know, he's like, I don't think you should do the rookie event. Like I can't let you compete against this, the, (laughs) the other guys your age, yeah (laughs) i'm like yo like i kind of felt good about the rookie event to be honest (laughs) but also you can't say no to that i'm like dude all right i'm honored let's do it with the pros um so it was really cool you know i i didn't end up finishing very well but it was the it was the year that he like broke the record and at the time he's like in his thirties or like late thirties or something like competing against a bunch of 20 year olds and like blows everybody out of the water. Um, so that was super cool. Uh, I was able to go back to that event a couple of times and ended up doing well in the pro event later on. But like that, that moment I think was probably, right? Yeah, Yeah. I did. I got, I got second, um, when I was 17, um, until, to that that time I was like ready to come back and be like all right I see how these guys do it um I mean was there
0: like other than the x games I mean was there a bigger scale or or a bigger stage for snowboarding at the time not really right I mean that's like you're in a like you said you're in a snowboard loving community in Europe in the winter with a legend at an event that's different than anything else that's currently out there and you're shoulder to shoulder with like I would assume people that you grew up idolizing
1: yeah yeah i mean it's it's cool it's a different experience you know it's a small field of competitors and they're hand chosen by terrier which is like not really how most events go so there's not much of a scene going on there's not much of like you know like how do i how do i beat these other guys it's like no you're like hanging out together you're all staying in the same hotel you know you're all going out on the town together um and it's just like a a different experience because it's a different event. It's a quarter pipe event. It's not a half pipe event. It's not a slope style, you know, it's like the one thing and it doesn't matter for anything else, but that event. And, you know, there's, there's people that come to that event that mean so much in snowboarding. Like Jamie Lynn would be there and he's another like, like huge idol in snowboarding for, for most people in snowboarding. Um, So yeah, it was cool to experience it, that,
0: at a young age you know, how do you I think I mean th- three days timeline is ludicrous to to be like hey can you get on a 14 hour flight yeah and then compete in two, I mean people again anyone that's listening that hasn't competed one just in general, let alone and this is outside of my scope at that level right your body's ability to recover in order to perform is super important so you get on like a long flight like that. Go sleep in a bed that's not yours, a mountain that you don't ride. Sorry, not ski ride. And then, <laughs> and then you're there. And like, how do you get your body to perform at the level that you want it to without everything that would otherwise seem necessary for performance?
1: Yeah. No, I completely agree with you, especially at 30 years old now. Um, <laughs> at, at the time, I think I, I, uh, took my age for granted. Um, I never really thought about it, to be honest, you know, when I was, you know, at, at you know, I was 15 then like, it didn't matter to me. Like I slept right. fine on the plane. I didn't really get that tired. I still felt good. I wasn't waking up hungover, you know, like, so at the time running off like I don't know it seemed yeah I'm drinking Mountain Dew yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) you're like no I'm good I I stayed up all night
1: (laughs) yeah it was rad so I don't know at the time I'm like if I could go back to that man that would be awesome but you know definitely later on it was like especially when it's like one event to the next and it's different countries Mm -hmm. different time zones it was like okay I actually need to think about this like you know and later on in my career not much later on but probably when I was like 17, 18, I started getting really serious with a fitness trainer, Um, started really thinking about my nutrition and diet and how do I prepare for the upcoming season? How do I take care of myself to prevent injuries, but also recover from them and just like maintain them? Cause that's like the thing. It's not like you're either healthy or hurt. You're like, it's a, it's a level of hurt at all times, you know? (laughs) It's so true. It's so so, true. So like, as, as I got into my late teens and early twenties, like that was the most important part of it. And it that's, that's where it got harder and harder was like, okay, like I'm no longer only focusing on my passion. I'm actually managing my injuries and in my pain a lot more than most other things, which is totally part of that. Um, but, you know, that's, I don't know, part of the evolution through age
0: in the sport. As you got older. Um, yeah, I think as a young athlete, you're either kind of like sparked by the the strength and conditioning side of things or not. But again, the margin for competition is so different at that level. Like you can be just naturally decent on a trampoline and you're going to be more competitive than the next kid who isn't with no mm-hmm. external like training stimulus. But then on the upper echelon of things, training becomes more important. So like, as you, Absolutely. as you slid across that spectrum into being more of like the full-time athlete, the guy that's in with PT, you're thinking about nutrition in your off season, prepping for the season, everything. Walk me through like a typical week for Matt Ladley in competition during the season versus off the season. So like, what did those two worlds look like for you? Once you are yeah. like, all right, I'm on board. This matters. I'm going to take this seriously.
1: Yeah, no, it is very different for sure. Cause you know, I guess the first part, um, to your question, like during competition or like during the season is a lot different, you know, you're hopefully at that point have gotten yourself to a very healthy place, like really strong, all that. Um, and then it's really just maintenance. So, um, if you're trying to snowboard, you know, four or five days a week, but then travel one or two days a week, it's hard to do much like do a ton of like strength training or like high level conditioning and stuff. So it's like maintenance and like, kind of um, like low risk uh, training in like fitness on the fitness side, but then a, a lot of PT, like with the US team, we were super fortunate. We had a uh, a PT that would travel with us everywhere. So, you know, it was common to go in every day, if not every other day, maybe two times a day, uh, you know, they're on the Hill with you, um, you know, you sit down, get, get worked on like with, like while you're snowboarding and then later on in the morning, maybe. So, um, a lot of, <clears throat> a lot more like PT focus and then just like general, you know, sticking to the nutrition side of things and just feeling good, sleeping good. And then out of off season is like definitely more heavy, heavy towards, you know, fitness and conditioning and just getting in like a, a healthy, healthy state where it's not like, you know, for me, I always—I don't know. Everybody's got different philosophies or opinions on it, but I always felt that, that, like, it was more about like general fitness and injury prevention than like being the strongest guy in the world. Like, for sure, I don't—I don't really believe that in snowboarding. Like, you know, if you're an eight out of ten in strength, like, you're not going to be—you'll never be as good as the the guy that's ten out of ten in strength. Like,
0: like you need yeah, to Yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many factors. Yeah. On, in yeah. that industry, I, I think a couple of things it's, it's important for people that are listening. Like one, when Matt's saying like PT, that doesn't mean you're, you're just doing rehab and someone's like stretching you. I mean, PT exercises can be Ooh. stimulating it from a strength perspective. So you can do things that are like rehabilitative in quotations, but really they're stressing the muscles. They're, they're keeping whatever strength that you've built in the off season to prepare yourself, whatever demands, for example, that like Matt Ladley will have in the season and whatever strength you want to carry into that, you can do very minimal application to maintain whatever strength that you've done. And that can come in the form of PT that can come in the form of like low frequency, low volume strength training. If let's say you have like five bad weather days in a row. And so you guys like, okay, cool. We're in this town. We're going to run and utilize like the local CrossFit gym, run through some low volume, low intensity stuff. Just keep our body moving, keep the blood flowing, everything like that. Um, And because of the demands, which by the way, for skiing are very similar to snowboarding Mm -hmm. and other than the direction in which you face on snow, a lot of the same forces are acting against you. A lot of the same environmental hazards present themselves, whether you're facing forward or sideways, like you're at the same risk. And so I, for example, may have a, like a proclivity to strength training because of other sports that I do. But by no means is it necessary to be, like you said, a 10 out of 10 strong to enjoy riding or even to be competitive on some levels, like being strong. If you took two athletes who are exactly the same and one was stronger than the other, and there were no other factors, you would want to be the stronger athlete because you're going to reduce the likelihood that injuries happen to the joints, tendons, ligaments, et cetera. But that doesn't mean that you have to be back squatting two and a half times your body weight to like have a good season yeah that's completely yeah and it's,
1: it totally <laughs> depends on the sport too right like yep. you know for me there's always so much focus around you know it's core strength it's joint mobility um yep. it's spine mobility and you know there there's definitely some strength in there but so much of my training was around body weight and mobility and proprio- proprioception um correct and
0: doing what's that i said correct yeah appropriate i'm like
1: that that word that's (laughs) a tough word body's understanding
0: Um, of where it is in space yeah which makes sense
1: for snowboarding but for maybe ski racing it's like that's a little different because that's like you definitely want to be squatting more lifting more um you know a lot more strength in the legs um
0: and yeah interdisciplinary too like you were a competitive pipe rider so you're going to be leaving the pitch of the pipe and landing on the pitch of the pipe. So it's like momentum is actually of all like the, the sports, it's kind of in your favor, barring a, a crazy slam or like hitting the deck or something like that. Right. Obviously, Ooh. those are acute situations. But uh if you're a riding park, for example, having like the ability to withstand a landing, absorb force and redirect it would be seemingly a little bit more important than, say, for a pipe rider who, to your exact point, like thoracic mobility becomes really important because how do you load up a spin or how do you load up a cork? Yep. You like load it and then you release that energy into the direction. And then it's air awareness and momentum and everything. And then you, again, land on the pitch and you are landing, but it's not like you're dropping from 50 feet out of the air onto an unfortunately flatter yes, than do a needed. Really bad job. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> unless you totally mess up and you (laughs) land in the flat and we see what happens. I mean, those, I think pipe crashes are some of the gnarliest because you do leave the lip expecting to land in the same transition. Whereas Mm -hmm. you take off a 60 foot table, you kind of know that you're going to go really high and you're going to come down really hard. So mentally your body anticipates that that's going to happen when you expect to land back on the transition and you hit the deck or you hit the bottom. I mean, what's the worst crash that you've ever had? How did it happen?
1: Yeah, it would it would be that. Um it was uh in mammoth and super windy day. It was like it was I had to like do really well to qualify for the Olympics. I'm like, all right, well, if I don't do you know, if I don't really go for it, then I'm not gonna make it. If I do really go for it, it's really windy and sketchy and uh so I did. So you went for Um, it. Yeah. (laughs) So I went for it. (laughs) Landed completely in the flat bottom and I broke my tibia, broke a few bones in my ankle tore every ligament in my ankle um and was like yep. What but what was the rehab like for that that was the worst one um lower extremities man and joints stay away from those break bones bones are awesome <laughs> like well, tibia, the tibia, that's
0: bone. oh you mean yeah. your ankle, ankle joint yeah, yeah yeah
1: the you know um but yeah that one that one sucked because it was like um there's a super long surgery they put a bungee cord in my deltoid ligament so i still have that in there which is kind of nice I, I can still oh, oh, notice like
0: bungee cord it, i didn't even know the well yeah, it makes sense because it's, it's, it's like, like a, a rubber turn, right? like a
1: rubber band so it, yeah. it only allows my my foot to bend up so much so like that's that's what i see broke because it. you need to
0: control the flexion yeah the so oh, gotcha. like i
1: can't like that's how i broke it i landed really hard in my i was my hip was on the nose of my snowboard and my snowboard was flat on the ground and so my ankle was completely like bent over sideways so that that rubber band or bungee cord n- now
0: restricts that um oh my god that's that's so gnarly picturing that happen I don't feel so bad about my <laughs> pinky anymore at your house <laughs> I might take that any day I'll well I mean dude, that's got to be so you're immobilized you're put in a boot you have the surgery you can't yep. move you gotta take I mean you're in the middle of your season right yeah yeah trying to like qualify January. for the Olympics
1: yeah so that was a tough one for me I mean all three Olympics I went for I ended up on the couch after surgery watching the Olympics which you know that's just kind of part of it you can't you yeah know, that was unlucky I had successes other way other places um but yeah um yeah that was, what was, was that like, like?
0: like going i mean olympics right like that's the that is the dream for every winter yeah. sports athlete is to get the olympics podium or that just that experience in general but like like you said you had successes elsewhere but what did it feel like to not you know repeatedly not get to go to the the biggest stage
1: yeah no i mean it was a bummer for sure um but i'm also like totally okay with it and like happy mm-hmm. with what i did do and what i didn't do and that's something that i didn't do um you know those were some of the most stressful times of my life trying to compete for the olympics and it was hard and um you know i i think maybe you could call me biased because i didn't go to the olympics but i did other things so i'm like yeah fuck the olympics <laughs> but <laughs> but no i try to be honest with myself where it's like yeah it would be really cool right. to go to the olympics um but that being said there's a lot about the Olympics that applies to other sports that doesn't necessarily apply to snowboarding or like skiing Mm -hmm. um, or like freestyle skiing um, where in, in a lot of sports, the Olympics is everything. It's all there is. And, and it's everything in snowboarding, it's another event and it only happens every four years. However, there's different eyes on it. There's different, you know, media around it there's different pressures around it you know even just talking to to anybody that you run into it's like oh you're a snowboard did you go to the olympics it's like that you hear that over and over and over and you're like no well i didn't um but you know in my mind or to most snowboarders that compete in snowboarding the olympics is is a big stage but it's not the only stage um so i think that helped me be more okay with it because i'm like yeah you know it would have been it would have been awesome that would have been really cool Um, I feel like it's kind of like,
0: uh, it's like the world club cup and club soccer, like in Europe because club soccer is extremely prestigious. I mean, like you win the champions league and you're like, I don't know if there's a greater moment for some of those athletes than being on the team where you win a champions league. And mm -hmm. in some cases, maybe depending on how diehard the community is like might even be cooler than being on the national team when it wins the world cup. Not that One is actually better than the other or worse than the other. They're both incredible feats, but I feel like snowboarding definitely has a presence on like, I don't even want to call it a smaller scale. Cause I think in reality, it's actually probably a bigger scale for the sport. Like your X games, for example, that seems bigger than Olympics.
1: I'd say endemically. Yeah. Like within the sport and like the attitude towards it. Yeah. For, for a lot of people, I don't want to speak for everybody, but for some people a lot of people i don't know how many um but for the rest of the world the olympics is way bigger
0: i guess that's true you because know? it it appeals to the more like yeah. the layman fan
1: yeah you know it's like it's just like when i watch you know sports that i don't watch regularly all i like, know about is like bigger yeah, like figure skating. I don't I don't know about the the local figure skating event that went on, but
0: very important sidebar. <laughs> what would you say is your favorite summer or Olympic sport? And and I don't actually want to know your favorite. I want to know what you think is the most absurd.
1: <laughs> most absurd. <laughs> Speedwalking. Speedwalking was a is that
0: actually a sport, dude. It was. I don't I know if it's it actually a thing.
1: I'm pretty sure we need we need
0: one of the uh you know, from assistance on the podcast, like a coach up now. Yeah. Where's like the Jamie, right? As a coach, uh, that's an insane sport to be able to move at that speed without running. And the, I mean, I can't think, I can't envision in my head, something like less healthy for your body than the way that those people move. And if you haven't seen it, we'll have a speed walker. On yeah. your next to fill maybe, you in. Yeah, maybe it's my ignorance, right? And I don't really know anything about it. And so it actually is one of like the hardest, most badass sports on the planet.
1: Well, you figure with anything, if you make it a competition, it's going to get to a certain level that there's these tiny intricacies that you could do a little bit better to make you a little bit, you know, more advantage over your competition. So that has to exist in that sport too. It's like what I'm hearing
0: (laughs) is kind of like you're interested in maybe pursuing a post snowboard career speedwalking. I'd
1: like to know what it means to have good speedwalking form. How fast, what are we we thinking about? Are we thinking about our hands? Are we thinking about our hips?
0: I think it's mindset, man. It's durability and toughness when it really comes down to, you know, are you willing to Just don't pick up both feet and start (laughs) running. What are the, I wonder if that's a rule you can't pick up. All right. Real question. if, (laughs) I gave you 40 yards and let's say like, I don't know, a fast sprint is what, like a 4.2 something, 40 yard dash. How fast do you think you could speed walk it? Present day, Matt Ladley. What's the
1: fast sprint?
0: Uh, Like 4.2 seconds. I I don't know if you're running a 40 and like 4.2, I I think that's pretty fast. I
1: don't know. Maybe like a third as fast speed walking.
0: So you think you could do it in like, like 12, 12 seconds.
1: seconds? Yeah. I don't know. Aside from the I podcast, sprint, I don't think I, think I could
0: separately in a text conversation. I think it would take me a lot longer. I'm going to do this and I'd like you to do it too. And we'll just see kind of how far we're off. And then I can, I'm can post it underneath the episode or something so that those that are riveted with it. the idea <laughs> of uh, speed walking can actually go and look at it. Cause I think I might just bail on the whole podcasting and training thing and go for 20, whatever the next one is 2022. Yeah. 24. um, Oh, we just had still stuck on my time on a on a 40 meter. I think like 12 seconds is kind of cooking. It seems like it. It seems like like if you think
1: about how fast you could run at your fastest, I don't think I could run a walk how fast could Chad do it. (laughs) Chad. 20 over 20. Oh, 30 seconds. Easily 30 seconds. 30 seconds. I think we could all do it in 30 seconds.
0: Well, that's I mean. The Olympics, the Olympics come and go. I think it sounds like your, your mindset on it is incredible it's, to be able to go through those, appreciate the accomplishments you did have, let that be just another experience that happened as it was. What was like, as you got more towards the end of your career, like when did you know that you wanted to stop snowboarding? How did that all come about? Why give up something that is seemingly the dream come true, so to speak?
1: Ooh. Yeah, that was a rocky one. You know, it's 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 just hard to wrap your mind around it. You're you're changing the way you're thinking about it every day. You're constantly conflicting, mm-hmm. you know, your th- your own thoughts. It's like it's almost like going through like a breakup. It's like one day you're like, "All right, we're going to stick this out." The next day you're like, right. "What am I doing?" <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um <laughs> so it's I'm like I'm not
0: crazy. You're crazy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> crazy. <laughs> I am crazy,
0: and i'm sorry I'm crazy. we're both crazy.
1: ah it's horrible um so I don't know. I mean, I think the in, you know the injuries really got to me um I have a bad hip, and I was used to like having an injury like I'd break a collarbone and then I'd get it you know you could get a plate and some screws in there, and three weeks later it'd be good to go, and it's like done, and then you break an arm and you get plate and some screws in there, and then a few weeks later you're good to go um once my hip started bothering me, that was like, it wasn't from like one thing. It was just started deteriorating and like just wear and tear Um, just landing flat and taking slams. Um, Just part of it where it was a part of my everyday that it was like, okay, I have to go to PT for my hip every day. It's always my hip. It hurts while I snowboard. It hurts when I sleep. It hurts when I sit on the plane and it's just like becomes more of like a mental battle than mm-hmm. even a physical one because it's like you like still you're thinking like, about it that all drive
0: the
1: time. yeah and you still have that drive to like go succeed at your sport and improve as a snowboarder but it's like this fucking stupid thing is in the way all mm-hmm. the time. Um so there was there was years of that and it just got worse and worse. Um and I think at a certain point it was like all right you know how much do I really want to do this you know just kind of weighing that stuff and um just trying to be honest with yourself and be okay with you know you know do you want to take another path if you do that's okay well there's other snowboarders out there who have never stopped should I compare myself to them or is it okay to not compare myself to them like are they better people to the snowboarding community maybe maybe not maybe it doesn't you know it's like there's you know it's hard to like go through all those things and really only care about what matters to you. Um, sure. Without weighing so in that like took external factors. Yeah. What about Other my contracts? Experience. What do my friends think? You know, like, yeah. um, you know, I haven't made an Olympics. So what am I going to think of myself then? You know? Yeah. So it's like trying to like get rid of all those stupid questions and comparisons and just being like, is this something that really matters to me right Right. now or can i enjoy it in a different way um and so kind of towards the end and just to give like a timeline like i retired when i was 27 Mm -hmm. um and so probably around like 24 25 um i think i told my coach uh rick bauer at the us team and i was like look man like i appreciate everything that you've done for me i appreciate you know all the resources you've given me like you know the nutrition stuff the trainers the pts the training camps the scheduling this that that and i'm like i think i want to still do this but i need to do it at a different like level of i don't even want to say commitment but more like x ex- level of like self pressure and so yeah. I'm like I, I told him i'm like next year if you'll allow me to be on the team and this wasn't it's not like I was having like bad results. I was still like having like results that qualified me for the U S team, but I was trying to tell him like, um, I may not show up to all the things that you want me to show up to anymore because I need to manage the pressure I'm putting on myself because I'm not really enjoying it. And I want to see that if I can find a way to enjoy it, if I can still, still do this and manage the, 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 the hip injury that I'm, going to have to continue dealing with you know and so I want to try it in a way where you know I may show up to a contest and not be in the right place to want to go for it and I'm going to go home and if right. that's okay with you and you'll allow me to like travel with the team and still be a part of that then that's what I'd like to do um and he's like yeah like if that's what you if you mean that and you feel like you're still trying to succeed and it just means you have to take a different path. Um, then let's try it. And so were you trying to,
0: or were you trying to pump your own? I was,
1: no, I really was trying to. Um, But I think I came to the conclusion that like, you know, all this structure, all the, you know, I, it's so easy to put a lot of pressure on yourself. I think you probably feel this just from what I know of you as a person, like Mm -hmm. anybody that has is ambitious and has drive towards something it's going to put more and more pressure on themselves. And, oftentimes that that's healthy and it drives you but there are times when it holds you back um and i think i tried to i think i realized that and was like okay well maybe there's a different way i could do this maybe i can really only like do the things that matter like to just me and not to you know what i need to qualify for that event or what i need for you know to get this incentive bonus or that or whatever um And so I did that. And even down to like training days, like not um, like practice days, snowboarding on the hill, you know, Mm -hmm. like you have this, you feel like you have this expectation that, okay, I got to go like, go out there, start throwing down. Like I need to go win practice and go ride longer than everybody. You know, there's 30 other pro snowboarders up there, like doing their thing. You got to like put in the work and make, make, make yourself known like every day. And I'm like my hip can't handle that like i can take a few runs a day now and so that's what i would do i would go up i'd say like okay like it's kind of a shitty day but like the pipe the half pipe's in decent condition take like two runs not do any tricks go get a coffee go take my boots off hang out the rest of the day like do some chill stuff in the gym do a little pt maybe go up the next day and it's a super nice day probably only take four runs anyway but like one of those runs i'd like kind of go all out and like try and put down the run that i would do in a contest and then i'd leave and, like, to, to the point where there's some of the younger kids on the team would be, like, dude, you, you don't, like, even snowboard. And I'm, like, I know. Like, I created this sport. <laughs> I'm, like, I know, man. You know that I wish I could. Um, but that's, fun. like, what I needed to do in order to, like, not be in as much pain and ultimately, like, still enjoy it enough. Right. Um, and that ended up being, you know, those next two years were the best two years of my career in the last two years. Of my career. So um ended up getting a medal at X games for the, that year and the following year, um, along with some other good results. And you know, the Olympics just didn't happen to fall within those years. And right. that's cool too.
0: It's not, so it sounds like you're saying that when you took some of those internal pressures off of yourself, communicated that with your coach that like, hey, this is kind of my new MO. I'm not gonna like drive myself into the ground here just to appeal everything that Ooh. was actually when you really kind of found like your best stride in yeah. your career what was definitely it like? what was it like when you land your bottom air and like cross the finish line and then you see your score up on the like Megatron
1: yeah man I mean it's like first it's a relief because you're like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done <laughs> because not only are you waiting to like fall and like fuck up your run but you're also like know that a catastrophic slam could happen too so it's like not only yes, are you just that's terrified a really,
0: that's sorry to interrupt that's like that's a yeah. really good point like it when you're watching on tv so i remember watching this run i was like oh my god and then i saw you go across and we went like crazy because <laughs> we knew you won you're like you got your jersey on the medals in your hand it's like holy shit Matt just fucking won the super bowl like that's insane you forget that like you're at the your car is going 11 out of 10 at every Ooh. single second on that run but on tv if you're not an athlete or if you if you're not you you're watching it going like wow he's really putting that run together you know but I- like what speed where are you at like do you black out when that happens you're putting everything on the line in a run like that
1: yeah god no I wish I did people say they do and that sounds awesome but no I definitely don't (laughs) black out during it I'm like every second I'm like okay like come on hold it together you got this like keep it going do this one all right we got this one we know it's not you know it's like yeah no I definitely don't like it's it's like every moment is like the fastest you've ever thought, or at least for me, you know, right. I got friends. that are like, yeah, I just put my
0: headphones in. I'm like yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> leads. Like, oh. So they put the metal around your neck. What's the next couple of months like for you after that?
1: Yeah. Um, it was, that was super fun. I mean, that was crazy to me because that was after that kind of conversation I had with my coach the, the fall before. And right. so like, It was my way of trying to enjoy the last few years of my career. It was not Mm -hmm. really my way to, like, finally, like, become. But I already took the pressure off, so it didn't matter anymore. Um, So then for that to happen, it was like, whoa, like, I was just trying to, like, be along for the ride and like have a good time and I have been having a good time and now this is even better so this is sweet um and it it just like changed my approach to like um you know competing mentally I actually went to uh Park City the next week there's another contest Grand Prix and I won that as well um so that kind of like gave me a little bit of validation um because the the X Games event was kind of weird there was crazy weather they ended up like stopping it after well and
0: you like flew out of your well maybe that was the year before you like flew out of your binding yeah I did that that was a a few years earlier my binding broke
1: going up the wall and I landed in the crowd
0: (laughs) I'm (laughs) I'm sure ride really loved that
1: yeah yeah that's uh thanks for that one yeah then um... <laughs> so i
0: i remember this was a, a little bit this is more towards the end of your career that happened but it sticks out as a memory in my head still so i when you were basically your last weekend on the team i don't know if the team knew this at the time but you knew it at the time we were Ooh. up in mammoth and we were in the lodge and i i don't know i don't remember who these people were but there was like a, a fa- like a father of whatever the family it was we were talking to them and One of them, I forget exactly how they said this, but the gist of what the conversation was, was they were like, oh, what do you do? And you, you say, oh, I'm a, you know, I'm a snowboarder on the U S team. And in my head, I know you one, I know your accomplishments too. And I know that like, at this point in your career, you've had an incredible career, a decorated athlete, respected in the industry, the opportunities lying ahead of you. And this guy was kind of like, like, oh, you're, but what do you do? Like, it was kind of his answer. It was like, I love that Oh, you're a snowboarder, but what do you do for work? And and what yeah. he was really getting his undertone was, how do you make money? Are you, do you come from a rich family? Like it right. was, I'm like, what the hell's your problem, dude? This guy was like in his sixties and he was, he was such a prick about it without being an all out prick. And I just remember sitting there watching this going like, man, how many times has Matt had to deal with like that question, that proposition that like having to explain yourself to you know people that are outside the industry what was that like and maybe maybe I cared about when you did but like was that a common thing in your life or up until you yeah know, now where you're actually
1: it's funny you bring that up because it, it didn't bother me at all for one you know it's almost more like huh, like yeah you don't even, <laughs> I met you no know know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even know man yeah. but um, no, it's it, the airport is you get it the most. Cause you know, we all flew a ton. So we right. had, you know, most of us had pretty high statuses on airlines and that's just because you're flying a certain amount of miles a year. That doesn't mean you're like a special person or like better than anybody. Like you should somewhere. tell that
0: to all the people in the airport lounges. <laughs> yeah.
1: I want to preface this by yeah. saying that I don't <laughs> think I'm better than anyone because I had United 1k, but <laughs> because I did, I, you know it was you're, you're generally flying first class overseas you're using upgrades you're you know in the priority everything you get the lounges all that stuff so you're around all these people that you know are expecting i, I don't know, expecting something different right from what they, <laughs> they, they see when they look at us and i think i was watching uh i think it was danny davis on on the bomb hole and somebody asked him this too something along this, these lines and his answer was so funny he's like because you'll get this when you you like walk up to the check-in counter to, to check in your bags and you get like you know a snowboard bag a duffel bag you're wearing a backwards hat a hoodie right. sweatpants like you're getting ready to travel for 14 hours and you walk into first class line and they're like and they're like oh sir <laughs> the economy line is over there you're
0: like, Listen, bitch, <laughs> i know where the economy <laughs> line is and i'm not and, standing in
1: and danny's so funny because you know danny's got like long hair like yeah. a beard like you know um and his answer is like, oh, oh, yeah. Economy's over there. Yeah. Why did you oh, is it it's because of how I look? Is that it? It's because <laughs> and it's like you get that so much. Like you'll go to first class boarding and the guy behind you'll be like, hey man, like the, the line's over there. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Thanks. So honestly, I I think I really enjoyed it because it was like, you know the action sports and these alternative sports have this culture of like being like not supposed to fit in and like right. you know being scumbags and all that. So when you get the opportunity to like show those people that uh, you know yeah, you let a scumbag into your ranks like <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're
0: going to get fired. What do you <laughs> yeah. let into
1: first class? <laughs> Yeah.
0: So, so, was there anything I about that kind of like, stuff was funny? I I look at, you know, your career over like the last 3 years, right? So like since you retired. And I actually tell me about that because I know we were talking before and you were like, Oh, I got to tell you about like the mammoth weekend." when you actually told them what, what were those couple of days? Like, cause you knew you were going to tell them that you were done. Ooh. How did that all unfold?
1: Yeah. You know, it was, you know, that's now two years later from that conversation we were talking about, where it's telling my coach, like, look, like I'm going to put in a certain level of, you know, i don't even want to say effort whatever it was like i'm gonna manage my my own pressure a certain way and like show up when it seems right and not when it doesn't so, so this is two years after that now um and it was a spring camp in mammoth and yeah you came up our buddy chad came out from from steamboat which was awesome fastest like, speed walker in the world fastest speed walker we're gonna get him in there um and yeah i was like you know kind of that was the end of the season so it's and usually the end of the season training camps are like all right like you've been riding all year you're feeling good you're probably hurt in a lot of ways but don't worry about it and um like let's go learn a bunch of new shit so it's like it's pretty high pressure at those training camps right and those were a lot of the times that were hard for me when i was you know dealing with this hip injury it's like i don't this is when i don't want to be doing this stuff right, right now like it's sunny it's slushy chad neighbor here i want to go cruise around that sort of thing and it's like i had to take some time to be like do i really want to like opt in for another year like right now right and that's around the time when the u.s team is like officially like all right guys like this is the team for the u.s year for the, for next year like you need to accept this blah blah and so i just i told my coach and i was like look man this kind of a crazy moment for me i we actually went out to lunch and like just him and i and you know i've known him for decades at this point. Um says so I, like, I appreciate everything you've done, but I'm not going to continue past this year. In fact, not this week or even today, like tomorrow when I go up there like I'm no longer like you know, it's going to be different. Like I'll go cruise, we're here for a couple more days, but I'm not going to try to learn anything new. I'm not going to, you know, it's like this is my thank you and goodbye. Right. Um so it was a you know it's like something I wanted I'd been thinking about for a long time and I wanted to approach the right way I've seen some friends like not transition out of their sport very well right and I didn't want to do that um so yeah it's cool to have you guys there and then the next day I'm like yeah like this is so sick like you know it's like it's a bittersweet moment of course but it's also like you know it's like the end of your journey like you've done it sort of thing like and so I was trying to enjoy that um and just like go snowboarding Chad and I went up and he's like yeah follow me off you know it's like the big jump at mammoths like 70 feet or whatever he's like yeah follow me like I know the speed I'm like sure follow you (laughs) you like (laughs) in like backwards hat like sunglasses and he's like you know and did not have the speed right like overshot the shit out of it and it was like a pretty clear like landing where it's like land you know like a long landing and then it gets flat and it's like we just missed it It it's like we went like 170 feet on a 70 foot jump and (laughs) 100 feet too far (laughs) yes (laughs) and i'm like oh my in the air i'm like i had plenty of time to think about it i'm like just falling like are you kidding me the day you decide to not be like the, the day after you decide to retire you're gonna Die on this jump. We overshot it all the way to the bottom. Luckily, it was slushy. We put like two bomb holes in the flat and, like, you know, exploded shit went everywhere. And I'm like, and I'm like right behind him. So I'm like, am I going to like land on him? All this stuff. And we're like rolling, like crawling out of it. And I'm like, are you okay? He's like, yeah, I think so. Are you okay? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) And we're like, why did we do that? Thank God we were more or less okay. But I'm like, I was trying to like not get hurt anymore.
0: <laughs> Here you are almost ending your career day after. I'm, like,
1: I'm like, what are you thinking? So uh, yeah, that was pretty funny. Good, so, good way to wrap it.
0: How do you get from there to like, I mean, it's funny that we joke about these people being like, oh, what are you doing in first class? What do you do for work? All these kind of things. And now, uh, now you're in like a professional setting was there any part of you that felt a need to legitimize like your life, like to get a quote, like a real job kind of thing, or did you want, how did you want to transition into an actual like workforce type role? Did you want to go entrepreneur route investing? Like what spoke to you coming off of an incredibly accomplished career, being a professional athlete to the nth degree, and then now being at, you know, 28 years old with your entire life ahead of you settling into like being a non-athlete for the first time ever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That is cool. It was hard. I think, you know, everybody has to figure that out and it's not like I was like expected like, Oh, like right when it's over, like, I am going to be rocking and rolling with something else. Like, you know, I, I'd been thinking about this for a while. Like what, what am I going to do? What is it going to be, you know, in my mind I was like no question like yeah I'm gonna have it figured out the, the day I'm done snowboarding like the whole time even the day I decided to be done I'm like yeah I'm gonna have it figured out tomorrow um and that didn't that doesn't happen like that <clears throat> so all that stuff went through and I'm like I don't know do I go to school should I do like finance should I do um should I go live on the beach and sell coconuts should I be a captain like you know I'm like Everything was on the table and it wasn't getting any more clear, really. Um, So, you know, it took me a while, but I eventually realized, you know, whatever it is, and it sounds simple, but it's like, whatever it is, like, it just needs to be something that you really care about. Um, Otherwise, you're not going to like it. So um, that was the hard part for me. It's like, okay, every day of your life, you've woken up knowing exactly what you're going to do and and why you want to do it um and now you've just decided to not do that anymore so you gotta replace that like just come on decide like what's what's the new thing and I'm like I'm trying like okay what's the new thing and so it's like it took a long time um and it still does you know it's like um thankfully in a a place where I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now um but but that took a while to like make progress on that um so you know the first thing I did was I asked my team manager rockstar hey i'm gonna retire from competing can i be the team manager and he's like yeah sure and i'm like okay sweet like i have a job
0: (laughs) um
1: so i was very fortunate for that um thankful to have that opportunity and and i was there for a couple years got to manage athletes uh snowboard and ski athletes who most most of which were i was competing with you know a few months prior (laughs) um and so so that was cool um but yeah, it definitely was like trying to figure out what is it going to be. Um, so, I, you know, I did some trips, tried to like spend a little more time with myself, tried to do do some things that didn't have a purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, I, was, I was very used to, you know, only doing things that had a purpose, uh, which is great. But I think there's something to, you know, like mindfulness and mental health when you can just enjoy yourself and doing things that don't matter as well um so like i <clears throat> i think the fall after i retired like the fall after that spring i i rode my bike um from vancouver down to san diego by myself oh. and um just to kind of enjoy it and people are yeah. like well how fast are you going to try and like break <laughs> records like how fast are you going to try and do it and i'm like honestly like my number one my only rule is that i I'm going to do what I feel like along the way. And if that means camping, I'm going to camp. Like I brought my camp shit and like, um, you know, I had like, you know, one of those guys on the side of the road with all the bags on their bike. Um, So I would camp sometimes if I didn't feel like it, I'd go get a hotel or get an Airbnb or like, you know, just kind of like go spend some time like doing something with no purpose by yourself. And so that was like five weeks of that. And that was really good. But that makes
0: a really like, good place. I mean, it seems last year that like mental health, definitely the story of the Olympics was like mental health, right? It just seemed like mm-hmm. everywhere, we look, that was a big theme. I'm just curious as an athlete, because I look at something like what you just said like this trip, clearly the the theme here is like give yourself a chance to just not for the first time. Like, mm-hmm. pick something that you're interested in doing, go do it. No goals attached to it. No outcomes totally. that you're focusing on. Just enjoy it. If you want to go eat tacos for five days, just pull over and eat tacos for five days. If you're yeah. not, you know, you're not worried about the speed that you do it, how many records, what the fastest time was, all those natural thoughts that I'm sure, you know, as an athlete, you think of when you yeah. see athletes. Like, I mean, the Simone Biles story was like very f- front page for everyone, right? I, so when I saw that happen, I was like, on one hand, I really understand what's happening here because the pressures that these athletes feel outside of the olympics too they're just they're massive i mean your your desire to perform personally the pressures placed on you from your team your family your sponsors whatever campaigns you guys are running with the team that year that pressure's on you then the global eyes pressure is on you and so it makes sense that at some point it's like you know what like fuck this I'm just, my life, my health, my well-being is more important than whatever outcome everybody wants from me. But on the flip side of that coin, I think about how selective these Olympic processes are, how few spots there are for every discipline, for every team. And I wonder if that's how you're feeling going into it. And these pressures are, are surmounting to the point where you feel like you just don't want to do it anymore is it in your best interest and that of the team to give that spot to someone else who's vying for it that also wants it? Like, what are your thoughts on all that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's that black and white. I think probably everybody has a com every athlete has a combination of these thoughts and like challenges, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful thing and a beautiful process and an, an incredible experience and opportunity and that stuff. But at the same time, it's a challenging process too and it's not Mm -hmm. like it's not like just like that one athlete like had those doubts and like that sort of thing so I don't know I don't think it's that black and white um you know I think you know had I gone into the Olympics I would I would go in having those doubts and fears pop up saying what if you don't even make finals like you shouldn't even be here if you don't make finals like somebody else should be here you know but that's you know you're not going to get to that level if you allow those things to like dictate your decisions. It's like going back right. to that, like blind faith. Like, yeah, those, yeah. those ugly thoughts fear their head, but it's like, I still got my blind, my blind faith, and my blind confidence. Right. I'm charging forward. Um,
0: how so. do you turn that off in a professional setting? I'm sure there's some instances to which that really lends itself to your success in your, in your current career. But how do you like, sometimes that can't be healthy, right? Totally. How do you yeah. manage that now? Because I would I would expect without hearing your answer that you want to achieve success to the same degrees in your professional mm-hmm. life that you did as a professional athlete. It's so ingrained mm-hmm. inside of you to perform, not perform for other people, but it's just like a it's a flip that was switched on in you at some age. Mm-hmm. Right. How do you use that to your advantage? And then how do you also recognize the potential shortcomings if that takes too much of your attention in your professional life.
1: Yeah. Um, I think number one, like humility, like find humility wherever you can. It's not easy to do and it's so easy to like get comfortable in your confidence. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, there were those couple of years that bike trip I was talking about was part of that, like finding that humility. I didn't realize that's what I was looking for, but that's what I found. Um, and I did, you know, something similar. I went to Guatemala, um, and I wanted to volunteer. I've never volunteered, never like done anything for anybody but myself. So, you know, why don't I like, you know, hopefully my friends and family don't think that, but um, I don't think they do.
0: Finally, but, you like, see the
1: light. <laughs> in in a in an official like formal setting, I haven't like done something like that. So I wanted to go do that, um, and so I did that, and. There's a bunch of cool people there. I just told everybody I was a student and like, kind of like, again, like kind of just took myself away from what, you know, from my life for a little bit, found a ton of humility there too. realize there's a lot I can learn, you know, I'm learning how to, you know, build a, a concrete building by hand from this guatemalan guy who was awesome like clearly he knew a lot more about that than i did (laughs) so i was learning something here right you know there's plenty for me to learn um so i think yeah you know finding that humility and always knowing there's something more to learn um and then redefining that uh that blind confidence you know during my snowboarding career that blind confidence was defined as you know i can be the snowboarder i i choose to be and believe to be you know, and it's like all your goals go towards that. So I think I'm still trying to redefine what that is now. Is it, you know, I can be, you know, the best, you know, businessman and operator within icon source today, or is it, you know, I can succeed and achieve, you know, the happiness and freedom that I'm looking for, you know, it's just a different definition of like where
0: that, that confidence is pointing towards. I think. That's a really important theme in, in business entrepreneurship though, too, is like, you do have to operate on blind faith. You have essentially an idea, which is like your competition run. It's just like a concept in your head, but you're pretty damn sure that you can put it all together, but like, you don't really know until you drop in. And it's the same thing with this. Like you have to understand icon sorts better than anybody else who's never heard of it. It has to just make sense to you upstairs, the ins, the outs, the potential, what kind of athletes you can line yourself up with in the future, what you can give back to the athletes that you guys represent, all these kind of things, they have to make sense in your head today to like the most blind faith degree that they can, because right. otherwise it's like people, they can smell the bullshit. Like if you are pitching or you're on a call or you're telling someone you're talking to someone new, or you're hearing feedback, if you don't believe it, it's going to be so apparent. And so you have Ooh. to have that same confidence that you had when it's like, oh, man, I don't know. I like my hips bothering me and I haven't, and it, it wasn't raining when I was doing my training runs. How the hell am I going to do this? Right. But that blind confidence can carry you through. Do you guys like, so what is and now you're at icon source? You guys are out Ooh. of Denver, right? What Ooh. is um, what's kind of like your platform, your business model? What are you guys looking to do in the next couple of years here within the yeah. sports world?
1: Yeah, so we're an online marketplace that connects brands with athletes. That's kind of our simplest form of what it is. And so uh, my CEO, Chase Garrett, is a good friend of mine. He, was, he managed uh, Red Bull's athlete marketing program for about eight years and worked within action sports, but also across uh, a lot of tradition, traditional sports as well. So he's uh, had a ton of, ton of experience um, working with athletes as a brand. Uh, before then, he was a sports agent for a little while. Um, and before that, he was a uh he raced uh, professional motocross for a little while as well. Yeah. So kind of experienced pieces of it, but really heavily in the brand marketing side of yeah. Red Bull. Um and so he he realized, you know, this brands like Red Bull, brands like Nike, they recognize the value in, in working with high-level athletes and utilizing them as you know, their voice and that 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 credible voice to, to spread the message, represent the pro- products, all this stuff. They know that. And Red Bull's done an incredible job, job of it. A lot of companies have, and they've invested heavily into uh, sports marketing programs and sports marketing teams. And they know how to write athlete contracts and and put in approach this entire process, including having the network and the ability to get in front of those athletes. So right. having the network with agencies, top agents with the athletes themselves, knowing how to present an, a contract and opportunity and um, work through this process. Now, what if we can open up that that opportunity to every brand in the nation that doesn't know all these things and doesn't have these networks? So like, how are you going to get in front of, you know, the top football player, the top skier, you know, the top, you know, MMA fighter as a, you know, medium to small or large brand that has never done this before. And so by providing a marketplace, we want to give the brands the tools to approach these athletes and give and provide the trust in that marketplace. where where high level athletes and agencies want to be and want to be entertaining deals. So we don't represent the athletes. We don't represent the brands. We provide the marketplace. You can compare it kind of to like Airbnb, like Airbnb isn't representing you as a traveler or the, or the homeowner they're providing the marketplace for those interactions and engagements to happen. Makes um, sense. So that's what we're doing. And um, it's been really exciting. Chase launched this uh, launched this, uh, in 2018. And I started working with him last winter. Um, and, you know, he's done an awesome job. Um, it's been really fun to be a part of it. And we're at about 20, 20 people right now, uh, continuing to grow. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we have, you know, over a thousand brands at this point, over 350 agents and, uh, around 5,000 athletes, uh, between college and pro. So continuing to grow, I think you're one of them. I encourage you to get on there. So yeah, I was going to say you on there. I've actually recommended you to a handful of brands in in like the nutrition space. So
0: So um, is it like I I think of this as like chasing a chasing like an IMG but on a more like a newer understanding of how the markets actually interact with each other. Like you're bringing kind of like fresh faces and fresh understanding and the world of like I mean, social media exists now. It, it didn't in the past. Like how you thread all these together and then you're presenting brands that otherwise wouldn't have the reach with the ability to connect with athletes that otherwise wouldn't be exposed to them, right?
1: Exactly, yeah. Um, so IMG, like is they have accounts on our, on our platform as well. So as an agent, you know, we're not competing with the agents at all. We're actually trying to bring in more business. So, you know, if, as an agent, I can have my athletes on there. And now over a thousand brands have visibility at that, to that athlete. And they can say, I'd like to work with this athlete and I'm going to receive that message as the agent. And then I can respond on behalf of the athlete. Um, So we're streamlining the process as well as making it um, something, breaking down the barriers to entry for the brands that don't have the experience in the networks to do it. Um, So now they can actually present a legitimate legal contract to any athlete that, is willing to uh, entertain that offer?
0: Is there anything in place to to like? I guess navigate the the endorsements on social media. Like, I feel like right now we're at a pretty weird place with social media where uh, people are just. I mean, they'll endorse use toilet paper if like they have a fake enough reason to say that's a good thing, right? There's just constant yep. endorsement of trash and just like. Yep bad incentives and people are just looking for kickbacks and kind of stuff like how does right. and and maybe this isn't where you guys step in but how does something like icon source kind of sift through that to create you know meaningful partnerships where like the, on one hand the athlete truly feels like wow i'm i'm given this opportunity to work with this brand that i just like would not have had and then the brand's getting a good return because they actually have a real relationship with the athlete not like a
1: hey did you're use, hired
0: use code matt 20 you know like you're speaking exactly. our language over here, yeah. I know. I'm low key, this is actually a job. I'm trying, <laughs> did, trying to be like, like, Oh, <laughs> yeah, oh, who's Chase? <laughs> yeah, uh, oh, yeah, that would be good, you know. Like... Yeah, no, <laughs> well, no, you're exactly
1: right. Um, so you know, that kind of comes down to you know, the philosophy of you know, what the power that we believe uh, exists when you partner with athletes. Um, it's th- it, it's different than I'm trying to say this without offending too many people um i guess i'm so excited for you what to you would think it of <laughs> as, <laughs> as like an influencer so so an influencer and an athlete those are two different things Correct. there is some crossover <laughs> of course right yeah okay so i'm going to speak just to the athlete part so we look up to athletes because of what they've done of what they've accomplished they are uh, incredibly skilled at their craft and that's somebody that we want to be like not just look at so it's a little yeah, exactly. different. Okay. And so with, within icon Source, you can build all sorts of different um, campaigns and social media is obviously a huge piece of it. majority of our deals have at least a, a social component. Mm-hmm. Um, now, most pro athletes, especially pro athletes with agents aren't going to be accepting like the, Hey, post, you know, use my 20% off code and I get a kickback sort of thing. Like those sort of affiliation programs are, I don't want to say not allowed, but they aren't really that relevant when you're working with athletes in a lot of cases um, because athletes aren't very good salespeople and they're looked up to because of who they are, not because of the shit that they're peddling. Right. Um, Totally. And so, you know, exactly what you just said is a lot of our philosophy here is partner with the right athlete. You know, give them a real endorsement. Um, you know, sign a contract, and you can set those deliverables, and but align with the athlete. You know, you know, if there was a nutrition and supplement brand, I would encourage them to work with you, Abe, because you could probably, if you believed in their product, you would post their social deliverables, and it would be done in a really authentic way. And you're not going to be asking people to use your code. Right. You're just going to be talking about it because you're you're actually using it. So creating those authentic alignments with brands and athletes, you know, is is always encouraged. Um, but you know, there's, there's all sorts of ways that you can, you can manage social. I
0: I like the contractual aspect that you guys work with, because I feel like that really legitimizes what you're looking to do. Like I've been, I'm by no means an influencer, but just from having like a very small amount of followers on Instagram, very small, seriously. Uh, randomly brands will like trickle in and it's always kind of the same Mm -hmm. dumb thing. You're on like some mass blast email chain. They're asking you to, you know, peddle a product or in a lot of cases they'll actually, they'll give you a discount on their products that you don't yet use. Right. So you're like, Oh my God, thanks so (laughs) much. I get 20% off on some shit. I don't want, but then from a marketing (laughs) perspective, like if you think about it, it makes sense what they're actually doing. They're just trying to do market testing. They're like, look, if we, you shell out, you know, 500, 15% off coupons to a bunch of random influencers, we can just find out more about our demographics. Like, okay. Right. You know, X influencer in Miami drops this 15% off code. Okay, cool. 90% of the people that use the code were ages 35 to 41, that's what they're looking for. They, they don't yeah. care. They don't care that the influencer is using the product for promotion. And for them it's small pennies, because you kick a, an influencer 2 t-shirts and a bag of fit tea and all of a sudden they're posting about your thing every single day to their, you know, whatever their reach is, 10,000, 20,000 people. Mm-hmm. Um, what you guys are doing sounds like it's really powerful because you're actually saying, you know, you know, screw that. Let's actually put our money where our mouth is contractually obligate both parties in this, because yeah. now we're talking real deal. Like one, this is actual income. So the athlete's going to get taken care of,
1: but two, we and it, and it doesn't have to be like significant compensation, like right. just for anybody listening, like we see deals anything from a hundred dollars to you know obviously huge huge deals for right. mega big time athletes, but you know like you could even you could tell these brands, yeah, this sounds great. If you're serious, you can find me on Icon Source. It's a really easy place for you to uh, sign a deal with me, and they might you know send you okay, we'll give you fifty bucks a month or something, and you'd be like, no thanks.
0: Um, but that's still a so- good net like the path of that I think makes a lot of sense. For like you just said, say, Hey, if you're for real, you know, if you're not just trying to just like spam my, the people that I interact with, if you're for real, find on icon source that can actually be like the go-to to to link these people. Plus there's a ton of, I feel like you're a unique situation, right? From a very young age, from 14, you're crushing it. You're on like a professional level circuit. You're getting exposure. You're with Oakley. You're with, you know, big brands that have budgets they have the ability to take care of their athletes. Unfortunately, that's like not the case for every single athlete out there. You know, a lot of most athletes, especially in the winter sports industry where the exposure isn't that great. It's a seasonal sport. And either you like live in a ski town and you're exposed to it. And so it's exciting or you don't, and you don't know it exists. And so there's not a ton of leverage for these athletes to create like one lasting relationships for the future where they could retire and maybe some of the relationships that they built along the way, they can actually turn to now for career opportunities or things like that. But I feel like the potential here beyond just the agreement between the athlete and the brand can create longevity for athletes in general. Yeah. And that hasn't always existed. Totally.
1: And that's really like the passion. And, you know, I think a big reason why Chase started this from the beginning and a big reason why I'm, I'm passionate about it now is it's like, look, we're not trying to like scam the brands and get money in the hands of the athletes or like right. scam the athletes. And like, it's like, we really tr- see this as truly a win-win. Like it's an opportunity for, for brands to easily enter the space. They don't need a sports marketing team. They don't need a legal team anymore. Yeah. We've developed the contracts and we give them to them to use. They fill them out. Um, gives brands a chance to access you know credible voices within their within their markets and it gives athletes an opportunity to monetize what they've done in a way that they haven't done before um and so the college piece is crazy too now since july 1 um college paid yeah and so that's wild too And, and and that's kind of the wild wild west and we want to educate these college athletes help them understand why and when they're valuable and maybe when they're not how to talk about themselves, market themselves, talk to brands, speak to brands, why they should have a contract, why they should disclose that information to their school and their compliance officer. So that everything's done, you know, the right way and they're not affecting their eligibility in any way. Um, and really just empowering them to like take control of their, of their brand of themselves and hopefully monetize it and have a meaningful partnership with the brand where that brand's getting a ton of value out of it too. Um, I
0: think that's so. so important for athletes growing, you know, growing up where we did, we were, had so much exposure to the, that the dream could be real. Like you grew up, Ooh. you knew athletes that went to the Olympics, you knew people that made a career out of it, but you're also as a young athlete jaded to mm-hmm. like the front side of those people's experience. So you don't, you haven't been alive long enough to see the fallout of when right. people get injured and lose their sponsors or when people decide that they don't love it anymore and they want to go do something else or when Ooh. people's parents were like, I told you, so, you know, you're only a top 10 guy, you're not a, a top three guy. And so now there's no opportunities right. for you or the company doesn't want to put you in the campaign. Cause you're not getting enough exposure. Like I feel like as you guys find more, more and more success in this market, it has the potential to kind of keep the dream alive for these kids. Like, Hey, no, that's true. Do it, yeah. dude. go do it a hundred percent. Like if you love ra- racing motocross fucking put yourself all in because even on the end of this, look, people are making career, not only just careers out of it, but they're making lasting relationships, partnerships. There's because finances matter, you know, there's financial return potential for you guys so that mm-hmm. you can be, you don't have to be only the number one person in the world to actually make uh, a life out of it. And Cause that, like, for me, that was a big thing when I got to my senior year in high school, I was like, okay, I'm 12 spots from the U S team. I have two options. I either put my head down real hard and I grind out those last couple spots. I make it onto a team that's not even funded, right? It's like C-level team. I have to pay for my plane tickets, pay for my lodging. They pay for my competition. Then I have to, at the same time, beat everyone else that's on there to get into the top four on the A-team. Now I'm like a pro athlete. And if I win a world cup, I get five Gs. Yeah, Like it doesn't take a genius to realize that that's a really bad career path which sucks because as an athlete, when you're young and your passions just like, you don't like, want to think about that. stuff. Yeah, you just want you don't want like, to do yeah. that. And I, and, and there's, there used to be part of me that was like, I wish that I had kept skiing, but then I know for all of these reasons, I'm super, super glad that I didn't because I know people Ooh. that did keep skiing. Ooh. And even at the top of the sports, like there's nothing for them now. Right. You know, so it sounds like you guys are onto something really cool with icon source. And as it grows and it gets more and more exposure and partnerships and more big name athletes on board, like it could change, it could change the way that athletes interact with brands and make an income.
1: Totally. And, you know, to your point, that is a lot of what we're seeing. Well, you know, there are, you know, deals going on with the top elite athletes. Most of our deals are, are happening through. Smaller, lesser-known athletes, and you know, for different reasons. But in a lot of cases, it's because those smaller, leth- lesser-known athletes in on a social presence have a very targeted fan base. And in a, in a brand, if they say I'm looking for a fan base specifically in Boulder, Colorado, mm-hmm. you know, the athlete with ten thousand followers is going to have eight thousand in Boulder or in you know, Den- Denver-Boulder area, okay. versus the athlete with you know. 500,000 just hasn't scattered all over the world. And that doesn't help their targeted approach.
0: It is really interesting when you think about like the number side, of it. like I've just, so with creating the ski system and reaching out to athletes and, and just trying to understand more and more the current state of like the ski industry and how to get a product that I truly believe in, in front of more people, right. It takes like a marketing effort. And through this, I've been exposed to different like names within the ski industry or athletes or people that are maybe more on like the the free skier like passion side of it but they work alongside brands and i've seen like wow there are some people have like really really engaged small but really engaged yeah uh, groups of people followers that are like comment send like subscribe kind of they're part of their entire experience and if you have someone who has a Like a just for numbers, like a follower, kind of like ten thousand people, but they get two thousand people engaging on every single thing that they do. Those people are like very bought-in people, and so if you have Matt Ladley wears forward-facing hats and we're a forward-facing hat company, and so we're like, dude, put this on your thing, and now it's exposed directly to two thousand people where there's like a eighty-five percent conversion rate. That's more valuable than being like, oh hey, this is like a big name athlete globally. who never wears hats. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, can you push our product and then kind of like blindly throwing a marketing budget at it and hoping that it sticks. So for these small brands that don't have huge Oakley sized budgets to go after athletes can go to smaller athletes with a more focused, it's like everyone wins. Yeah. That's pretty cool. so
1: like, that's what I would say to any athlete, you know, especially the ones that are not at the top yet, hopefully hopefully you get to the top. Um, but there's, there's opportunity out there for you. Um, and that's, you know, this is where these things are going and it is evolving. So I would recommend, you know, getting on icon source and seeing that, um, shameless plug there, but, um, yeah, well, I was going I to, I was on here. there on an, a, as an athlete, <laughs> Abe is on there now. So, um, as a, as a fitness athlete and an MMA athlete. So,
0: well, we will, um, I'll give you the opportunity to re shamelessly plug anything else that you can think of. I want to be (laughs) respectful for of your time here. We went over as I knew that we would, I was looking so forward to talking to you, but, um, Matt Lally, you're an awesome guest, a good human. We need more athletes like you super humble, dude. I appreciate you bringing me to the hospital when I broke my pinky. (laughs) Big shout out to you. (laughs) Um, Appreciate
1: you going skateboarding with me when I was (laughs) stuck in Los Angeles. (laughs) Of course.
0: But yeah, uh, shameless plug, man. Where can people find you? Where can they get involved with IconSource, athletes, listeners, everything?
1: Yeah, iconsource.com. Super simple. Um, You can hit sign up. You can sign up as an athlete, agent, or brand, whatever you are. Um, You'll have to be verified. We keep, you know, we try and keep everybody on the platform very credible. Um, but it's free to sign up, no subscription fees, um, poke around, you know, hit the contact. If you want to get in, in touch with me directly, I'll, I'll, that message will make it to me. Um, otherwise, yeah, Matt Ladley on Instagram or Icon Source underscore on Instagram to keep up with what we're doing. We got some exciting stuff coming up the next few weeks. So look out for it.
0: Awesome. We'll chase your damn dreams, kid. And All right. if you guys need any help, Icon Source is a place to go. All athletes out there, young, old, doesn't matter. They will take care of you. Uh, thank you so much, Matt. I appreciate it, man. Thanks, Abe. All right. We'll talk soon.